you have your Bibles with you, please turn to the book of Psalm, chapter 11. <clears throat> Psalm, chapter 11. Beginning in verse 1. Psalm, chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. If you find your place, please stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Psalm, chapter 11, verse 1. <coughs> in the Lord put I my trust. How shall ye do to... How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privately shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. The Lord tried the righteous, but the wicked, and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and a horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness, his countenance doth behold the upright. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that fills each and every believer, that gives us comfort in our sorrow and instruction and teaching where we lack wisdom and knowledge. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us today. Lord, that we would know more about you through your word. God, that our daily actions would change as you do surgery upon our souls through your word. God, if there is some sin that we are caught up in, I pray that you would convict us. Point it out to us, Lord. Help us to confess it. And put it under the blood of your son, Jesus. Separate us from our sin as far as the east is from the west. And God... Demonstrate your love towards us through your mercy and grace and kindness. Help us to seek you with our whole heart and to find you. And God, I pray that one day we may all see you face to face as your children. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, Psalm chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, it says, In the Lord put I my trust. How, can, how say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? Anybody been, ever been out to get you? Um, there was a guy called me one day, he said, I'm coming to get you. <laughs> and he didn't mean uh, to take me out for a nice lunch. He was coming to, to punch me in the face. He had a misunderstanding about something, and he was coming to my house. And, so I began to pray instantly. I, I think I told my wife, and she started praying, and I started reading my Bible, and, and I found a verse of Scripture where it says, when a man's ways are right with the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. And so I prayed that prayer. Lord, I haven't done anything in this situation. I, I pray that you would please work this out. Now, by the time that man got to my house, instead of throwing hands, he offered an apology. And uh, I have no doubt that it was the Lord working on him on his way over but I want you to look, the, the person who's writing this is King David, 
And let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 18 and see what he may be talking about. A lot of David's psalms come from times of adversity that he faced. And in Psalm 18, I'm, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel 18, verse 8, <clears throat> I'm going to read to you uh, something that happened between um, David and Saul. 1 Samuel 18, verse 8. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day forward. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul. And he prophesied in the midst of the house, and David played with his hand as at other times. And there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from him and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he had behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah moved all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. So at this point in his life, yeah, the king's trying to kill him, but everybody else loves him. So it's fine. Why would he flee off to the mountains? Uh, God has rescued him a couple of times from Saul's javelin. But I want you to look over just a page uh, to 1 Samuel 19, verse 10. It says, And Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin. But he slipped away out of Saul's presence, and he smote the javelin into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. So eventually, David gave in to all of his friends' requests and said, I've got to get out of here. He knew that Saul was not going to quit until he was dead. And so you read some of these psalms that David writes, and, and there's people that are after him. And in verse 1 it says, In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, Flee as a bird to your mountain. Uh, there are times in life where you have to run. You have to get out. Um, and at this point, he trusted in the Lord. Verse 2, it says, For lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privately shoot at the upright in heart. At other parts of Scripture, they talk about words being cast out to hurt somebody. I thought it was funny that in the story this morning, uh, Saul a bow was stretched back and an arrow struck him. But many times the arrows that are flung at us are words that people say. I saw an account of several people that had lived through the Holocaust and they said those internment camps did not start with bricks and mortar. They started with words that were spoken. You have to be careful what words you choose. They can have eternal impacts on people. And Saul had determined that he was going to destroy David. And he had drawn back the bow. He had actually flung his javelin at him several times trying to kill him. He hated him. And he wanted to destroy him. The wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the stream that they may privately shoot at the upright in heart. Sometimes people will say things against you 
And it's not because you've done anything wrong. They could just hate you. Just not like you at all. But I want you to look at Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 1. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 1 says, Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of wayfaring men, that I might lead my people and go from them. For they be all adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men. And they bend their tongues like the bow for lies. But they are not valiant for the truth upon the earth. For they proceed from evil to evil, and they know not me, saith the Lord. Take ye heed every one of his neighbor, and trust ye not in any brother. For every brother will utterly supplant, and every neighbor will walk with slanderers. Sometimes you feel like there are just liars all around you. That nobody speaks the truth anywhere. And they draw back that bow and they say things about you that aren't true. And it hurts. It hurts your relationship with other people in the community. It can hurt your relationship with other people in the church. When somebody says something false about you. When somebody slanders you. The Bible says it's better to put your faith in God than to put your trust in man. Because you will be slandered. It said don't listen to what people say. Don't eavesdrop. Because... You've probably said a few things against people yourself. Some things that if they were standing there in front of you, you'd say, no, I didn't mean it that way. Don't, no, I... You try to take those words back because you realize how harmful they can be. For somebody like David, those words that were thrown out about him could have gotten him killed. Verse 3, it says, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do. I want to read Psalm 82. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked, Salah? Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. Verse 5. They know not Neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I've said ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. <coughs> the wise man has to build his life on a rock, the foundation. Jesus Christ. If it's built on anything else, it's shifting sand and the whole house is going to fall. And you read through this passage in, in Psalm 85, I'm sorry, in Psalm 82, and you realize that the world is going to go on in their wickedness. And eventually God's going to shake the foundations of the earth. And when he does that, they won't have a place to stand. The Israelites in Goshen were safe. All of the Egyptians were in terror because they built their lives on foundations of false gods. <clears throat> Verse 4 of Psalm 11. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. 
Some of y'all, do you ever have to squint to see? <laughs> you, you look real close. You're trying to examine closely, and so you're, you're just focusing on that one little thing. What would happen if God examined you diligently, really focused in on your life? What would he see about you? We're pretty good at hiding who we are. We'll, we'll put on a surface of what's going on in our lives and, and we'll say, everything's fine. And then somebody says, no, how are you really doing? We'll say, well, it's been kind of rough. And then they say, well, tell me what you mean. And then they start to tell you exactly what's going on and they're not fine at all. And if you go knocking on somebody's door and say, hey, uh, I'm, from the, I'm from the church and I was wondering, um, would you like to come and attend? They say, oh, I used to attend church and such and such and so and so. And you say, well, what happened? Well, I just stopped going. So, did something happen there that caused you to stop going? Well, somebody said something about the clothes I was wearing. I just didn't care for it, so I left, and I ain't going back. You just never know what happens to people. Or nobody talked to me. They didn't, they didn't say a word to me. I, I showed up for, I think, two or three services in a year. And nobody said anything to me. You just never know what's going on in somebody's mind or what their expectations are or what hurts people. Sometimes those things happen. It says if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold his eyelids tried to the children of men. All of our motivations are examined by God. And in Job 23, verse 8, it says, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. You can't see where God's looking at you from. He's watching you all the time. And you can look all around and you won't see him, but he knows the intimate details of your life. Sometimes I wonder what people in the community see as they see me driving down the road. I had a fellow one time, he said, you don't ever smile when I see you, just have a frown on your face. I said, well, I'm just focusing on driving. I'm not, I don't care what people will see on my face. I care about getting from point A to point B without all these nuts out here wrecking into me. I've got an uncle. He drives down the road. He puts an earbud in so he can listen to music. He drives all over town. I see him. He can wave at him. It ain't going to matter. He ain't going to see him. I guess I'm like that. Uh, I went to a red light one time. My sister was about half hanging out the car trying to get my attention saying, Hey! People observe you all the time, and sometimes you have no clue that they're in the world. I've had people come up to me and say, hey, I saw you the other day at so-and-so, and you say, well, where were you? Because I didn't see you. And of course, you've been out in public, and you didn't really want to talk to anybody, so you might have seen somebody you knew, but you let them pass on by. If they didn't recognize you, you weren't going to say anything, because some of y'all are introverted, and you don't want to talk to people. You observe people all the time. 
I like to go sit somewhere like the mall and just watch people go by. It, it surprises me sometimes what people choose to go out in public in. It just, it, it's, it's entertaining. <laughs> but imagine the Lord has all perspective and all knowledge and all amounts of time, and he observes every little thing about you. He knows it all. Nothing will be hidden from him about your life. Job knew that in his circumstance he had not done anything wrong, that God had been paying attention. And even though he couldn't see where God was, he knew that when he was tried by God, he would be considered innocent. The Lord's in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. Verse 5. The Lord tried the righteous, but the wicked, and him that loveth violence, his soul hated. For this I want to look at James chapter 1, verse 12. James chapter 1, verse 12 says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. You ever feel like you're going through one trial after another? One hardship after another? I heard a fellow say, he said, uh, the devil is going to take you down this road and he's going to give you little sprinkles of life here and there. That's what sin is. You, you feel excited about sin, but it really causes death in the long run. And, and, and you may have this one high and then another high later on and, and you get to experience these little parts of life said God works in the same way, but against the stream, God will give you little sprinkles of death here and there. And as you die to yourself every day, he's leading you closer and closer to eternal life. And many of the tests, the trials, the tribulations that we've gone through are because we're swimming against the stream. It says only live for today and only live for yourself and only do what pleases you. Instead of doing that, we die to ourselves every day, we take up our cross, and we follow after Jesus. <clears throat> and those little deaths that we experience, they create a new person in us. Somebody different is there the next day. This new creature gets stronger and stronger, and the old flesh gets weaker and weaker as we get closer to glory. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. You're going to have to endure hardship, test, trials, temptation. Psalm 11, verse 6 says, Upon the wicked he shall bring snares, fire and brimstone, and a horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. Sometimes life feels like the death of a thousand cuts. And you read some of these ads and articles and they say, if you drink this, you'll never die. <laughs> I'm thinking, yeah, right. I mean, they say, go through this ritual and you'll live longer. It'll, it'll prolong your life if you will put this in your water before you drink it. You know, and if you take these pills and if you do this and you stand on your head and they give you all these ideas about what they can do to preserve your life and make you live longer and look younger. 
And scientists are trying to come up with ways, and technology gurus, they're trying to figure out ways to make you live beyond this life. And somebody put out uh, lots of money, and they say, uh, show me eternal life. And somebody took out their Bible and just turned it and opened it up for them. So this is how you get eternal life. People trying to do studies and trying to manipulate this reality to conform to their desires. But the only way you get to live forever is if you die for yourself and live for him. David had done so. Saul refused to do so. The Lord tries the righteous, but the wicked in him that loveth violence his soul hated. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and a horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. I want to read Psalm 75, beginning verse 6. Her promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He putteth one down, and setteth up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red. It is full of mixture. And he poureth out of the same. But the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth, shall wring them out and drink them. But I will declare forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked also will I cut off. But the horns of the righteous shall be exalted. If you've ever read the book of Job, you see what it's like for wrath to be poured out on somebody. If you've ever read the book of Revelation, you see what it's like when bowl after bowl or vial after vial of wrath gets poured out on this earth. But the one that stands out the most to me is when Jesus, as innocent as he could possibly be, was in the garden and said, Father, please let this cup pass from me. And the wrath that would be poured out upon Jesus was the wrath that belongs to you and to That as I place my faith and trust in him, as I call on him for salvation, the wrath that should have come to me goes to him. Now I am saved from the day of wrath to come. Because Jesus is my foundation. And the people that walk on this earth, that rest on the foundations of this earth, that do not understand that when God shakes it, there will be nothing left. They will find themselves in utter ruin. We had a trouble with the steeple. Lately we had, had wind come and just rip the siding off of that steeple. And we were afraid that eventually water would get into the church and cause a lot of damage. And so we contacted somebody and we said, could you please come up here and fix that? And he quoted us a price and came up here and he fixed it. And he said, brother... That staple comes down, your roof is going with it. He said, God can do that. He said, God can take the roof off your building, but as long as your roof's on there, that staple should be there. He said, I fixed it. 
And he told me how many screws he put in it, what kind of metal he put on it. He was trying to tell me how he had reinforced it so much. But you understand that one day even this building too shall fall. I mean, it's not hard to believe that the foundations of this road will be shaken because I tell you, it's like sludge anyway. You look at the parking lot and try to drive down this road and the road is so bumpy and curvy and I mean, it'll throw you back out just trying to get up and down it. But we cannot imagine all the nations of the earth being shaken all at the same time. And what terror it would bring. Verse 7 says, for the, for the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. This last verse I want to turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 verse 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it did not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath his hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Do you long to see God? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, some people would be scared to death to know that God was watching them, that he was looking on and what they do. Because all their actions are evil all the time. That's all they concentrate on. I got to church this morning. Chris Waldrop said, I saw you on the news yesterday. Yep. Uh, my 11-year-old, she said, that was my first time on the news. She said, have you been on the news before? I said, yep. And I thought to myself, I hope that you are only ever on the news for good things. That's what I thought to myself. I hope that in your whole life, the only time you're ever on the news is when it's something positive, something good. Now think about it. If there was a newscast of your life this week and they, they went around and candidly filmed you all week long as to what you were doing and what you were saying, are there some times that they would put on there and you say, I hope you edit that out? Please don't put this part. I don't want this part to be on there. Yeah, there's definitely some in my week. Somewhere I was not a good person. None of us are good, no, not one, right? But nobody wants their life to be on display before everybody because you'd be embarrassed of some of the things that you've done if everybody found out. You might be a good person 90% of the time, but that 10% is pretty rotten. How would you ever get to see the face of God? Moses, ask God, let me see your face. God said, I'm going to put you in the cleft of this rock, and I'm going to pass by in front of you, and I'm going to put my hand over you, and when I get past you, you can see the back of my garments. Why couldn't you see his face? He would have been a dead man. It would have killed him. 
Moses brought the Ten Commandments down from that mountain that was written with the finger of God, and he had broken one of those already in his life. Thou shalt not kill. Moses, who gave them the law, had already broken it. I tell you, none of us are righteous unless the blood of Jesus covers our sin. If there's something in your life that you need to confess and get rid of, get rid of it. Ask him to forgive you. I've had to ask for forgiveness this week. And I hope and pray that my flesh gets weaker and weaker and that the Spirit of God in me makes that new creature that he has started in me stronger and stronger. As I die to this old self and choose to live a new life in him. It's not easy to do. We all have our own desires, the things that we want, the things that we would have our way if we could make it that way. But Nevertheless, not our will, but God's be done. I would rather drink the cup that he has for me than the cup that he has for this world. And if we're going to follow after Jesus, we're going to have to surrender to the life and death that God has for us instead of the death that he has prepared for those who are against him. More faithful are the wounds of a friend than the kisses of an enemy. Satan will make you all feel all good about yourself all the time. It's by the wounds of Jesus that we are healed. And it's by the wounds that you face on a day-to-day -day basis that the people who are watching you will be healed. As they see you like Job maintain your faith in God in the midst of the trials of this life, they will see a faith in you that they can't find anywhere else because other people would have left God a long time ago for the way that he has treated his children. But we know that the discipline of the Lord leads to everlasting life, and so we're willing to go through the hardship, to go through the trials, to go through the death of a thousand cuts, it means that other people may know Jesus because of us. It's not easy to labor in his field. I've never picked cotton in my life. I get to talk to a lot of cotton pickers. When I ask them about how hard it was, they, they basically say it's indescribable. I mean, how, how hard it was for them to have to pick cotton and how much they had to pick and, and the pressure that was put on them and the pain and the sores and what it would do to your fingers and, and they just go on and on about it. I said, if I've ever picked cotton, it was just for fun. They talk about having a garden. I said, I, I didn't have a garden in my life because my daddy hoed so much when he was growing up. I don't think he ever wanted a garden when he, if he could go to the grocery store and just get what he needed. See, the way it was prepared for me by people that had come before me. And the easy times that we have lived in have caused people to turn away from God. And most certainly trials are coming. 
When they do, those who are founded in their faith will be fine. But those who are not will flounder. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the faith that has been passed down to me from generation to generation. God, I pray that I would pass that on to my children. That they would love you first and foremost in their lives. That they would serve you and seek after you with their whole heart. And even when things get hard for them and, and trials come, I pray, Lord, that they would look to you as the foundation of their life. There's nowhere else that we can find words of life. Everything else leads to everlasting death. And as Saul turned to some witch to find out the way that he should go, all he could find from her was certain death and destruction of his family line. God, help us to repent of wickedness. Help us to search for only you. If there's somebody here that is lost and dead in their trespasses and sins, I pray that your Holy Spirit would quicken them. That you would give them life today through faith in your Son, Jesus, and his shed blood on their behalf. A man who was God, who died, but did not stay in the grave, who is alive forevermore, seated at your right hand until he returns to gather his into the fold. In Jesus' name I pray.